How many of you have heard the term reset, the great reset? Have any of you heard that? So if, if any like conspiracy uh, people, you know, the, the, there's talk of this great reset, you know, so <laughs> some people really follow it. The folks that meet in Davos, Switzerland, they, they've been announcing this great reset for a while. But I have news for everyone, uh, and especially good news for you, that God has had the greatest reset in the history of the world, and it was at the day of Pentecost. And so today is the day, the Jewish feast of Shavuot this weekend, which is the Feast of Weeks. It's, it occur, it's called Feast of Weeks. There's count off seven weeks after Passover, and then you come to Shavuot, so it ends up on the 50th day, which is how we get the term Pentecost. It's Greek for 50. And uh, so this is a special day because this is the greatest reset in the history of the world. And um, any reset that people plan has to bow its knee to the reset that God has already released. I just want to say that. So... And this recent, and God is a God of new beginnings. And so the promise of the Father all through history was that there would be this amazing reset that would take place. The Holy Spirit's called the promise of the Father. But so, Holy Spirit, come open our hearts and minds. We honor you. We need you. We ask you to, to re baptize, to baptize. In the Holy Spirit, any who have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, to fill each one of us that there would be a continual awareness of your presence and your working in our life, and that you would use us in the way you want in Jesus' name, that you would catch our story, uh, you would catch our life up into your story, and that all our life would be for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If they'd write better songs, I'd have better prayers. That's all I can say. So the, uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, why do we need new beginnings? Why do we need resets? Because humanity, you know, is is prone to failure, and so we have the the in uh, in the beginning, we have after God makes this perfect universe, we have the a history of pride, rebellion and then a new beginning, a reset. And so the, uh, in, in chapter three, you know, I mean, the Bible just barely gets started. That's why I mean, you have to say nobody would make this up because it's such an unflattering story of human nature and of, of the nation of Israel and of Jewish people in the first place. It's one of the arguments for the inspiration of scripture is that it doesn't sugarcoat the stories, and so we have this, this really tr great tragedy that occurs in Eden, the protected garden, the paradise, and it starts with a lie, which, which is, you know, the enemy uses slander and flattery to produce pride and rebellion, and then, you know, after, after the pride comes the fall. It's, it's actually in the book of Proverbs, Genesis 3, 6, so the woman saw, so the enemy comes, the serpent comes with, with a slander toward God's character and with a flattery 
toward Eve that produced pride in her. And so, you know, after considering that maybe God was holding out on her, she saw the tree was good for food. Of course, God makes everything good. A delight to the eyes. God makes things beautiful. And to be desired to make one wise, wrong. So this was, so she goes ahead and takes it and, and receives the fruit of it in herself. And really, this was the first, this was the first pride parade in the history of the world. Because as she considered this new possibility, she rejected the revealed truth and she sort of got into her own truth. You know, she was the first postmodernist before there was even history. And not only that, but then she got her husband in on it too, because she said, man, it's so awesome. I'm just realizing things I never realized before. And he goes, well, I should have some too. And so they, they depart from truth, objective truth, and they enter into subjective truth, which is no truth at all, and, uh, and so comes the fall, and in Adam we all die. So we all, you know, we, we could make fun of this, but I think, you know, these were great human beings, but susceptible to, to lies, susceptible to flattery, susceptible to slander. We have to be really guard our hearts against um, like false ideologies that surround us. And so, so this fall occurs and things go downhill from there. Um, you know, chapter four, uh, Cain kills Abel. Chapter five, God is like, whoa, every imagination of man's heart is evil continually. And God is thinking like, why did I ever do this in the first place? And then he presses the reset button and it starts with judgment of the world. But before he's before there's judgment, he already commits himself to grace. Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. He instructs him to do this wild thing that no one had done before. And Noah enters into a faith partnership with God, spends 120 years building this amazing structure that's actually gonna provide a protection from the judgment. And so he starts over with Noah. And so, you know, Noah, uh, Genesis 8 and 9, Noah lands safely on Mount Ararat and they make sacrifices and they start over with Noah and his three sons and their wives. And, and, but pretty soon, this tendency toward pride and rebellion uh, comes up again and we see it manifest in Genesis 11, 1. Now the whole earth was one language and had one language and the same words. That was amazing. In fact, um, and you wonder, like, how did things get the way they are? How did we all come? How did, where did all these ethnicities come from? There's only one race, the human race, but there are multiple ethnicities. And so that's why critical race theory is debunked before it starts. But the, uh, the, but, so here's where it happens. Now, they had entered into pride and rebellion. They said, we, we're not gonna do what God told us to do. Verse four, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with the top in the heavens. What do we call a really tall building in our culture? Skyscraper, okay, same idea. We're gonna build the tallest tower they could imagine. And, and the, the, you know, in that region of Mesopotamia, the, the ancient seat of Babylon, Babylon came later after Babel, but um, they built this huge pyramid and on the top of the pyramid, they had a table and a bed and that was an invitation for a God to come and be there. And then down at the bottom, they'd have a temple where the people would come and bow down and worship 
to a false god. And, and so they, but they wanted to build a city with it, which was for security, a tower with its top in heaven, which was their, expre- their own, they invented their own spirituality. And then, but they did this, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So they, they wanted a significance. They were, they, you know, they were saying like, we're gonna make up our own rules, our own way. Well, God saw this and he said, you know, this, is, this can't succeed because any pride and rebellion can never succeed. So God comes down and he confuses the languages at Babel and in that moment he created all the diversity and all the ethnicities that we have and all the thousands of languages that are spoken around the earth and they, they, and they were amazed because, in fact, they were confounded and amazed because they couldn't understand each other. This had never happened before. You know, up until that time, every human being spoke the same language. And uh, rabbis, of course, would assume it's Hebrew. Uh, everyone from Latin America knows that, that Espanol is la lengua de, de los cielos, and uh, it's the heavenly language or the language of the heavens. And so, and we always think our language is the best, but they all spoke the same language. In fact, there's evolutionary scientists scratch their head at why humans would speak different languages because there's no other species that, that like, you know, basically a gorilla from one area can understand a gorilla from another area. And, you know, and dogs from all over the world can communicate with each other. It's like only in the human species is this inability to understand each other. And it was God stopping the power of human pride and, and rebellion. And so this is the Tower of Babel. So what's the reset? Chapter 12, God, and the Lord Yahweh came and spoke to Avraham, or Avraham at that time. But, and so he said, okay, this hasn't worked. We've tried, you know, this is like the, net, the second reset. We're gonna start with one person. And this person's gonna follow me around and listen to me for at least 25 years before I give him a son. (laughs) And then so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and this was the beginning of of the the people of Israel. And, and And yet, they went down into Egypt, which didn't start out with rebellion and pride. It wasn't their rebellion and pride, but they were soon... Uh, you know, they, it was so nice living there. They were so prosperous in Goshen that they stayed there. And when the, the, the dynasty shifted in Egypt, there rose a pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph at all. And so they became slaves. Very interesting. So at this point, God looks at the Egyptian captivity and presses the reset button, a new beginning. You know, there's pride and rebellion. In this case, isn't it interesting, the second case, it, they were passive victims of pride and rebellion of a ruling class, an elite. Very interesting. And so God presses the reset button and he comes and he judges Egypt with 10 plagues and miraculously, you know, through the, the Passover and the sacrifice of the lamb and, and divine intervention, he splits the Red Sea. They go right through and God judges the darkness and releases them into a new life. But they don't actually get the, the full reset until a number of, of days later, they come to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up on the mountain, he disappears into a cloud for 40 days and there, uh, there in the cloud, God downloads the Torah, 
to Moses and all the commandments and everything. And what God was doing was he was establishing the conscience and culture of Israel, which would carry the heart of God, the promises, the covenants, the worship, all of this. There's a big list of, of things that are, were, were given to Israel. Paul lists them in Romans chapter nine. And so, so that, you know, that seems like, oh, great. You know, so you have this, this wonderful people of God and it, you know, it reaches its high peak under the, the dynasty of David and Solomon where the whole earth is blessed and in awe at, at what God is doing. And actually they have a heart for the nations. You just read the Psalms and you see all this, this missionary zeal in the, that all nations would come and worship before him. However, once again, through pride and rebellion, Israel falls into sin and rebellion and captivity and they're taken away to Babylon and they're restored and they rebuild under Ezra and Nehemiah, but it doesn't last long and they're conquered by Alexander the Great and by his generals after him and, then, and they're reestablished briefly and then <laughs> conquered by Rome. And it's like, this is bad. So we get to this point where they are in real captivity and it seems almost hopeless, you know, and they're, they're hoping that somehow they're gonna to overthrow the Roman Empire, and God intervenes. God gives one more new beginning. Isn't it great? This is the story, not only of the history of humanity and God's covenant work with humanity, it's the story of every one of our lives. You know, we, pride and rebellion, we get kind of drunk on our own awesomeness, you know, and we're, we, decide that we understand the secrets of the universe and then God demonstrates that we don't. <laughs> and this brings us to a place where we're crying out, help God, I need you. And, this, and the gospel is that God says, I know, I made a provision for you. I sent my son, my only son, to die for your sins. So all this stuff that, you've, that has brought all this grief on you, you can come lay at my feet and I will I will take it from you and I'll give you my blessing and you'll be born again. I mean, this is the amazing reset, but it has stages just like, you know, the, some of the interventions, they're not instant. So the intervention occurs, it, the whole world is described by the scripture as being in gross darkness. And, uh, and it's in the, in the gospels, it says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And so, so God intervenes through the incarnation and the incarnation, I mean, just, there's all the amazing teaching that we have by Jesus, but basically he came as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin, the rebellion and pride of the world and save us from our darkness. And so the incarnation, the crucifixion, even the resurrection were all part of the setup for the fullness of the reset because the actual reset happened on the day of Pentecost. And so this is, you know, the, the Jewish people recognize this as the feast of weeks. That's what Shavuot means in case you've seen that term or read that term. And so this feast is one of the three great feast seasons of the Lord. There were seven feasts, but there were three times a year that they would all go up. And this one was the second of those three great seasons, and it came seven weeks after Passover. Thus, they called it Shavuot. And it's called, in actually, in Torah, in, in the books of Moses, it's called by three different names. 
the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest, and the Feast of First Fruits. And so it is the harvest that, that God is pouring out his spirit on the earth to initiate a harvest of releasing people out of the results of, the, of their rebellion and sin. Are you with me so far? So we come to Pentecost. Pentecost, I mean, you know, we love Easter because if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we have no gospel. But without Pentecost, the gospel would have never gone anywhere. You know, they were, it would still be just like a little closed system of people who had a, like a, a historical faith and an agreement that yes, this happened, I believe it, therefore I receive it and I'm saved, which is really amazing. But it wasn't meant just to be an intellectual or a historical faith, it was also meant to be a dynamic faith full of power that would actually be part of ushering in the promise of God that he would fill the earth with his glory. Just saying. So, so now we come to, I'm, I'm watching my time here because I feel like we, I wanna send you out of here empowered. I want, we wanna do, there's impartation here, and I, I know that. I know that, um, so as much, as much as I think, I thought, well, I don't know if I wanna preach on Pentecost, and when I start looking at it, I think, yep, I have to, if I preach on Easter, I have to preach on Pentecost because they're like bookends on God's restoration, you know, so, so he, he talks to, after his resurrection, Luke 24, Jesus appears to his disciples, and you know, and it, there's all these interactions where he reveals himself to them, but he makes this statement to them in Luke 24, verse 39. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Now that's really interesting. And then he tells them, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So how long should we stay? It's very interesting, the King James uses this word tarry, you know, tarry. And, and so that carry means like waiting with an expectation. I'm waiting until. He says, I want you to stay until you're clothed with powers from on high. This is the promise of my Father. So you wonder like, well wait a minute, why is it the promise of the Father? Because in Joel chapter two, at a time of great darkness, God promised, look, I will send, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He wasn't just talking to, to Israel, but he was talking to the whole world. I'll, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. And, and so there's this promise that God made through the prophets and it's kind of like there's a lot of promises that God hasn't fulfilled. And so in the same way, they could have, you know, for a few centuries, they could have said, I don't know why we even called Joel a prophet. Look, all these things he said, it hasn't happened until it happened. <laughs> and now we say, yes, Joel's a prophet, you know. And so um, it's the promise of the Father. He promised it through the prophets. And here's what he said, that you will be clothed with power from on high. And that word to be clothed with power actually means it means like you will, will receive a custom tailored suit of power that will, you know, it's kind of like you'll slip into a garment that was made just for you. And so every one of you, no matter what your temperament is or what your background is or what your age is 
or how old or how young you are or how long you've known the Lord or any of those things. If you come and you say, Holy Spirit, I, you know, I am, I am believing the word of God. I am believing and I wanna, I am not going to be satisfied until I know that I've been clothed with power. This is an amazing promise. And just even as every one of your hair, you know, your hair chemistry is different, the, your eye, your irises in your eyes are all different, you can be identified it, your fingerprints are all different. How much more is this being clothed with power from on high? And we might have a caricature of what it means to be clothed with power on high, because we've seen someone that we thought, whoa, there's a lot of power there. But it's like that was for that person. And the, power, the suit of power that God has tailored for you, that is part of his promise, is, is unique to your, your temperament, your calling, your history, your background. You know, what, where, what he has called you to, all of these things. How many think like, man, I want the power. I want the power that's, that I need to answer the calling on my life and fulfill my purpose here in this earth. Because one day we'll give an account for how we live our lives, what we do with our days, what kind of words we speak. That's a scary thought, isn't it? And it's like, but, but, but we not only give an account, but we receive a reward for how we've stewarded the grace that's upon us. And part of the grace of God that's on us, and it's actually the fulfillment of our salvation, that we be baptized in the Holy Spirit, receive the promise of the Father, and be endued with power. How many of you know, I think Heidi Baker is the first person I ever heard say this. She said, love without power is very sad. <laughs> you know, power without love is very dangerous. So we want, we want, them both together, don't we? This is the promise of the Father. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And so, he go, you know, Luke 24 is, um, is the end of the Gospel of Luke, but Luke wrote two books, you know, all by the Holy Spirit. The second book is Acts 1, and he picks up the story and gives a little background and tells us some things that Luke doesn't go that far. So Luke, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus has been with his disciples and crowds of up to 500. He's been on and off on the earth, appearing, talking, teaching, having meals, you know, which is kind of mind-boggling, for 40 days. And Acts chapter one, verse four, we come to the end of this period, and he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Like, just in case you didn't get it, I'm telling you again, don't leave, wait. And so why, and what that meant was they would stay in Jerusalem, they would, they would, 120 would go to an upper room and pray for 10 days. They're praying, they don't know what they're waiting for, they're waiting for the promise of the Father. They're praying, God, what's, what are you doing, what's going on? Can you imagine if someone was there for nine and a half days and then they said, you know what? This is just taking too long. We, need, we have to go home and feed the dog and, and weed the garden and we'll be back in a day or two. And then, so they're gone and the day of Pentecost comes. <laughs> it's like, these are like, this talk about FOMO, fear of missing out, you know, like, wait, we can't leave, we can't leave, we don't know when it's gonna happen. But I know if somebody missed it those two days, it was okay. 
be, I mean, they wouldn't be part of Acts chapter two, but they'd be part of the rest of the story, believe me. You know, so God's will is so big, we, it's really hard to miss. Okay, I just wanna make that clear. But he said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that word baptized, it means something. They haven't, like, this is a powerful word. I, for us, it's a religious word. But for, to them, it meant like saturated, waterlogged, sunk like a ship at the bottom of the ocean. This, you're gonna be washed, you're gonna be cleansed, you're gonna be, you're gonna be altered. You know, like it was used uh, to describe cloth, like white cloth that's put into purple dye and, and it's gonna be squeezed until it's through every fiber and it can no longer be removed. You're gonna be identified with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's like, whoa, what does this mean? You know, the mystery increases. Verse six. So, you know, he goes on about this, and then in verse six, it said, so when they came together, it's like he finished his teaching, said, any questions? Verse six, yes, actually, uh, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's like, wait, I've been telling you all this stuff, and there, there were, they were still putting it all in the context of their own culture. They had been brought up with this expectation that God would send the Messiah, the Messiah would defeat all the enemies, and then they would have the kingdom restored. And, and so, he, so he answers them, which was a true expectation, but in a, they weren't thinking about it in the right way. And so in verse um, seven, he said, it's not for you to know. This is... My father is the only one who knows. He says, but I am gonna tell you something, and it's like he's gonna repeat what he said to them. But you will receive power. You may not receive that kingdom you were expecting in the way you were expecting, but you'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, dunamis power, like there will be a dynamic and an energy in your life that you'll no longer be operating in your own energy, in your own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and clothe you and dwell in you and your life will never be the same. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and it will change who you are. You will be my witnesses, which means you will be the, the you will, your very life will be the testimony that, that I am who I am that I am God, that I am Savior, that I am King of kings and Lord of lords. And that word in Greek is where we get the English word martyr. And he wasn't just saying you've got a martyr complex, like now that you're close to power, you're all gonna die. He wasn't saying that at all. He said, what is going to be on you is eternal life, and even if they kill you, you won't be afraid. Even if they kill you, you will die shining like the sun. You will die with joy and glory and my power will be released and they can't, they can kill your body but they can't kill the gospel that you're carrying. That's what it means to be as witnesses. How many think that's a good, you would like to be clothed with that kind of power? <laughs> Me too. It's a real need today. You know, we're surrounded by a culture that is, that the 
the people in power in the culture are force-feeding a false ideology, a system of ideas, and we need power to be bold and to open our mouths and not be canceled and to stand up when somebody comes by work and says, hey, June is Pride Month, would you like your little flag, this little flag here on your desk? You want a decal on your window? And I'm not making fun of that. I realize some of you, that's like a reality for you, but let me encourage you that, you know, to be a Christian means we're in this world but not of the world. That we're strangers and pilgrims and that being accepted isn't always the highest value. The highest value is that we glorify God with our lives. So here's a little example, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, you know, here was Nebuchadnezzar saying, look, you know, I got this thing going, these guys have talked me into it, everybody bow down. When the trumpets blow, I got this big life-size, you know, 60-foot tall statue, larger than life, statue of myself, and when, because the prophet told me I was the head of gold, you know, and so, so they said, when the trumpets blow, everybody bow down. And so everybody did, because they wanted to keep their job. But Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they said like, wait a minute, I cannot partner with that. So they stood there, and Nebuchadnezzar said, what are those guys doing? I have a good job, I've taken really good care of them. And, and they go, I don't know, we better talk. And they said, look, and so he, he said, look, if you don't bow down, I'm gonna throw you in the furnace. Now I wanna tell you, that Nebuchadnezzar came to faith in God, not because they went along to get along, but because they were obedient and bold. <laughs> Just throwing that out there in case that helps you, and maybe it makes you mad at me, I'm not sure, but, but I wanna encourage you that we're here to make a difference. We're here to be a light, we're here to be bright, we're here to be bold, and one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he opens our mouths and makes us bold. <laughs> and I'm just, um, anyway, so, shubalaba. So, Acts 20, we need a reset in our nation. Would you agree? I mean, there is, there is such a warfare going on against the gospel. It may think, oh, it's just on this subject or that subject, but ultimately, it's against the gospel. It's not just atheist, it's anti-theist. And, and as, as a theist, you will eventually end up in the crosshairs of that war if you're not clothed with power from on high. God, raise up a great army across America. Raise up your church, raise up your people. Pour out your power that we're not afraid, that we're full of life and joy and that you will give us the right words to say in every one of those situations, that we won't compromise. God, help us. Anyway. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, was fulfilled, had fully come, they were all together in one place. They were at this prayer meeting waiting to be clothed with power from on high. Verse two, there came a sound. It was, the, the sound was like a hurricane. It was like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house. In fact, it filled the entire city. We'll see that later. Where the, they were, the entire house where they were sitting and something happened. Fire, divided tongues as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Isn't that, they were being clothed with power from on high. This energy of God was so present that it appeared not only in an auditory rush, but also in a visual, a visual 
appearance of fire and the fire came and rested on each of them. And I always, I mean, there's many ways you could picture this. You know, I've seen pictures where there's a little, like little flame shining on the top of the head like birthday candles. I always picture it that the fire was like this, this living, burning reality that came and just enveloped each one of them. So they were clothed with that fire, that power from on high. That's my own interpretation. Thank you, Jesus. And it appeared and rested on them, and they were all, no, nobody missed it, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so they were speaking, like I could speak in other tongues. I could speak, which that is a little part of my own personal prayer language. Paul talks about praying in tongues and praying with understanding, singing in the Spirit, singing with understanding. So, but that's not like, maybe somebody here understood that and it's actually a language, I don't know if it is. Paul said, I speak in tongues of men and of angels. But here's a story and this story actually was, I either heard it right before I became a Christian or within a week or so after and it just, it indelibly marked me. So uh, Steve Peter, which was a wonderful guy that I, I co-pastored with for 10 years in California. We saw a great move of God there. The, uh, and he's in glory now, so he, he can correct the story. <laughs> the, uh, but Steve told this story. We were there, and, and, and again, I can't remember. It was just a week or two before or right after. But he told the story at, just in a meeting. We were gathered because we were going to these Christian meetings because we were trying to give a offering so we could have good karma. It's a long story how God got us there. But we get there and we're, we're captured by the worship. And then I was captured by the story. He talked about how a, a, a summer or two before that, maybe 1969, 1970, he took a, a station wagon full of American teenagers down into Mexico and they were just preaching the gospel wherever they went, f- following the, the Holy Spirit and uh, you know, praying every day, where should we go tomorrow? And so they were kind of like an unofficial YWAM team going into, and they were in Michoacan State in Florida, or not, I mean, Florida. They were in Jalisco State in Mexico, somewhere south, you know, but Jalisco's like the coastal region. They were up in the coastal mountains of Mexico, and, and they, were, they had been in one place, and they were just up at this mountain pass, and they stopped, and they were, they were praying that night, where should we go? What should we do? It wasn't the whole group, it was just a couple of the leaders. And out of the fog, it was a lot of times in the summer on the West Coast, the fog comes in in the evening. And so out of the fog walks this old man dressed like a peasant with white cotton pants and you know sandals and a, and a white um, shirt. And, and he walks up to them and he said, are you the ones bringing the good, in Spanish, are you the ones bringing the good news of Jesus? Yes, we are. He said, well, would you come to my village tomorrow? And they said, well, where is your village? And he gave them instructions how to get to their village. He said, my village needs to hear the good news. And so they went back the next day, they got the team in the morning, they drove to this place, they parked at the end of the road, they hiked about five or six miles on a trail into this village. It was an Indian village. And there in the Indian village, they came and they said, they, you know, they, they didn't like outsiders, gringos showing up. And they said, what are you doing here? They said, well, the, the old man asked us to come here 
that it was his village and to share the good news of Jesus. And so this caused a bunch of consternation. They tried to describe him. They said, there's no one like that here in this village. And by this time, these four witch doctors who came, they were shamans, they, they came and they said, so what is this good news of Jesus? So they told them, they said, we don't believe that. They said, well, if Jesus is real, and they brought out this girl who, he had, she had a withered hand and she was mute. She couldn't speak. She was teenage and she was kind of like treated like less than a human by the village. They brought her and they threw her into the middle of the group and they said, if your Jesus is real, pray and, ha- and let him heal this girl. And he says, and we will, we will worship Jesus, but if he doesn't, we will kill you. And they're like, nobody knows where they are. They're just out in the mountains, you know, in, in the forest. And so they're, they, you know, they're like, oh, <laughs> help. You know, there's a good prayer to pray. Help, teenage girls and, and young men. And, and, uh, and they're saying, Jesus, come and heal her. And they start praying in tongues. They're asking God to heal her. And then as they're praying, this girl's hand opens up and she raises her hand and she had never spoken in her life and she begins to worship God in perfect English. She's saying glory to God, Jesus is Lord. The people in the village couldn't understand her, but, but the, 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 you know, they're all like, oh, hallelujah. So, so that was a good story, good angel. God, and I, let's, you know, that testimony burned in my heart. I said, okay, this is the God I wanna know. I wanna know Jesus who does things like that. And so we just pray that there would be a boldness and a power to witness in every testimony. We tell the testimonies so that God will do it again. Okay, so quickly, verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. The people had come from all over the world for the feast of Shavuot, the feast of Pentecost. And at the sound, this is the sound that was in their house, it went out over the whole city. The multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, when it says they were bewildered, this word could be translated confused or confounded, and it's the same word that's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to translate Genesis 11, 7, or where God confused the languages at Babel. So what had happened to stop the rebellion is now being reversed because Jesus is making one new man of believers all over the earth. This is the sign of Pentecost. This is the power of Pentecost. Pentecost is not meant to divide, it's meant to unite. It's, not, it's meant to restore, that he, he empowers us with love and power to bring, and, a, and sound minds, you know, to bring the gospel wherever we go. Verse seven, they were amazed, utterly amazed, and utterly astonished, and they asked, verse eight, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, which was, means, it was a special word, means the language we heard at our birth. So now it's not even like national languages, it's like the unique dialect of each village, each person is hearing them speaking in the language that they heard as a tiny child, Jesus. And so 
and then he, it mentions 15 nations. There may have been many more there. Verse 11, and we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, thoroughly puzzled, saying to one another, what does this mean? And, and verse 13, others mocking said, ah, they're just drunk. They're filled with new wine. Anne has this great teaching on three responses to the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But being amazed or perplexed is great. But mocking, you know, it's like pride and rebellion. It just, you get left out of the loop. And so Peter at this point stands up. Randy Clark has this great comment on that if he stood up, you wonder what was he doing before? Why did they think they were drunk? You can answer that, you can imagine that. But so Peter stands up with the 11, lifts up his voice and addresses them. And he says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour. It's nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he, and he now repeats the promise. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everyone who calls on my name shall be saved. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. In other words, there's gonna be universal offering of salvation. I'm gonna pour my spirit out on everyone all over the whole world. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vaporous smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness the moon to blood before the great, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and terrible or great and magnificent day of the Lord. Hallelujah. And so it'll come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. <laughs> and so this is the context of God opening up a new beginning for the whole world. I want you to stand, please. So we're here, and the Holy Spirit's here, and maybe the band might even be here. I don't know. But, the, uh, so, but it's like, do you want, you just say, God, I want your power. I, God, I'm, I'm standing here. So I like to, sometimes when I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit, I like to stand like this. I don't know, it just, it's like I'm saying, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill me. Come and clothe me. Come and so I want to tell you, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can be baptized today. We can lay hands on you and you can be baptized. Some of you, you'll just get, get it and, and he will clothe you in power. Some of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but here's the deal. It's not just being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's staying filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> be filled with, you know, Paul wrote the Ephesians, don't get drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And what happens when you're filled with the Spirit? You start speaking. You can't, you can't be quiet. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's like the centered, your life becomes centered not around conspiracies or, or you know, all this stuff. Your life and your conversation gets centered around psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart with thanksgiving to the Lord. We edify one another. So are you standing there with your hands like this? You might. I was giving an example. Could you let, just say this, Lord Jesus, clothe me with your power. Flood my soul with spirit and life. Penetrate and possess. 
saturate my whole being. Release the Holy Spirit. Release the gospel through me. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you just answer these prayers? Would you clothe us afresh and anew in power from on high? Would you baptize everyone here who's never been baptized? Would you just sink and waterlog us? Would you just like change our color? Would you fill us with boldness and joy and with uncreated love, with courage that makes us witnesses? Holy, holy, holy. Some of you, I felt this in the first service and I hadn't, act, I mean, it, it's pretty prominent and I'm feeling it again, so I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Often when I'm waiting on the Holy Spirit, I'll begin to feel like a weight or a pressure or a pleasant sense of energy on my hands. And I think that's why I like to stand and wait like this because you know, different people have different indicators. But if you're feeling that on your hands, it's a sign that, that you are carrying a power. And when we, when we get filled or when we get baptized, power, it's something to steward. It's not just like, well, at the meeting I felt it. But it's something that we, we go after daily like God. Fill me up again. Fill me up again like whenever the best time you ever remember encountering Jesus, like fill me up again like that, only more. Only more because, you know, the, the, the goal, my goal is that I would carry this day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute. Like I don't want to just be good when I'm preaching or when I'm in a meeting, I want to be shining, radiating, carrying power, carrying eternal life every place I go, filled with power, filled with courage, that you'd have the gift of just opening your mouth. Sometimes you say something, you think, uh-oh, I think I got in trouble. But when it's the Holy Spirit getting you in trouble, that's good trouble. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Jesus got in a lot of trouble. Thank you, God. Woo. So if you're feeling this on your hands, some of you may be feeling it like on your head or on your shoulders. You're feeling this weight. I want you to come forward. Just come forward quickly because I, I think there will be an increase and there will be this capacity to steward. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's It's... This is the day of Pentecost, you know? It's like, whoo, I'd be amazed. You know, if a mighty Russian wind came in here and it blew out the sound system and we are all on our faces, I would like that. Second best is that we, we receive with gratitude 
the presence and grace that's here. Holy Spirit, my prayer is for everyone who's come forward and everyone who's standing here, they didn't feel that, but they'll begin to recognize how you come upon them, what it means to be filled, what it means to be touched. I can see some of you out there having little crunches and little, there's just like physical indicators that of God's presence like it's not cerebral it's personal Holy Spirit would you come would you increase 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 God when we pray for more we're not you know it's not blasphemous it's romantic we're saying God hug me harder kiss me kiss me more passionately God Oh, increase, increase, increase on everyone here, everyone here, everyone here, that there would be love and power that overflows, that there would be a boldness. I'm telling you, you've got this power on your hands when you lay hands on someone, that power is in your hands and it goes to them. You know, it's spirit to spirit. I don't know how it works. I just know the reality that God puts his non-physical power in physical beings to to touch other people and things and animals in this physical world. I've, you know, we've prayed for animals and they've been healed. We've prayed for, you know, we've prayed for people and they've been healed. We were unaware of it. I, my brother uh, just told me this a couple of weeks ago when, when Ann and I first came to the Lord, we, you know, we got all, we witnessed to all our relatives and a number of them accepted the Lord and then some backslid and two of them were my two youngest brothers. They were 16 and they loved Jesus for about six months and then, you know, drug, sex, rock and roll, all the, you know, all the stuff that was in the world seduced them and they, for a few years they stayed away from us and then they came back, you know, but during that time they were staying away. My brother, my younger brother, Larry, was telling me the story. We were at some family gathering, must have been a picnic or something. And so they would ask Ann and me to pray because we were like the family priests, you know? So, okay, you guys pray. So we would say, okay, well, let's all hold hands. So we're standing in a circle holding hands and he, his right hand was holding my left hand. And he said, it started to burn and tingle and vibrate and stuff. And he, he didn't want it. You know, he wasn't back to the Lord yet, but I'm telling you, you're carrying power that you're not even aware of in Jesus' name. So what we, I want to do, if some of the ministry teams here, I know you're carrying this. We don't want the babies to, to uh, get overdone. So if you have little babies, you might have to go get them and come back before they put the pick up your children, please sign there. That means the, bad, the preacher's bad. Okay, so... Okay, we're just gonna start laying hands on you and the rest of you, you can go, you can linger, whatever it is, unless you have babies, then go get them and then come back. We're gonna pray, ask all the people praying, the ministry team, you have a catcher with you because there's power here and sometimes people fall down. We don't want anyone to get hurt. So the rest of you, may the Lord bless you, keep you. May his presence and his power, his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May you know he's, he's, his eye is on you. He's looking for partners. He's hearing your prayers. And may you carry his peace wherever you go. In Jesus' name, amen.